0: What's up everybody? You're listening to the Sports Blog New York podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy and I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today as always on iTunes, Apple podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the Sports Blog New York podcast. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to listen to what we have to say. Also, if you're a listener of the Team Left Jab feed, Team Left Jab Boxing Radio on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, anywhere you listen to podcasts, thank you so much as our friends over there continue to post what we do here on the SBNY pod on their feed when they're looking for more New York sports content and, in general, sports content. They turn to us, and we are so happy to be a part of the Team Left Jab radio network. So check them out over there as well. Don't be bashful. If you like what you're hearing, five stars, a little rating review. We love so much to hear from you guys what you have to say about certain takes. We have to say about the Mets, or hot start, the Yankees, tough start. That's what we're here to talk about today, and we want to hear from you. Hit me up on Twitter as well, Pete Kennedy, two Wise. That's Pete Kennedy, two Wise. On today's episode, we're talking Mets, we're talking Yankees, we're talking all things baseball. Because this game, According to the national public, the national media has had some weird rocky roads over the past few seasons with the influx of analytics and, you know, the outskirts of old school baseball, move them over, small ball. All that stuff seems to be going away. But is there a correction going on? Are there some players, some teams, and some coaches around the league who are really trying to take advantage of this new wave of baseball and some even going against the grain? We'll talk about it. But we're also going to talk about the Mets and the Yankees. Obviously, the Mets are off to a great start. It's been a lot of fun for these first weeks. Oh, this first week, really, actually. And it's not been as fun for the Yankees when it comes to the injuries, when it comes to the criticisms of Aaron Boone, and just the lack of putting the ball in play. It's not as fun a start to baseball season for Yankees fans as it is for Mets fans. But I may remind you, That last season, we had a very similar start. The Mets were hot, 11-1. and The Yankees were 500, kind of not finding their way. And we know how the rest of the season went. So we know this is the first week. We're not overreacting. But we do believe, maybe, that there's something to this Mets' solid start. When you look at this roster, there's something that feels more special about it. There's more depth. The lineup. Looks like a real Major League lineup. The pitching is the pitching. We know that. And on the Yankees' front, how do they deal with these injuries? Who are the most important pieces with Giancarlo out, with Nduhar out? How big is the acquisition of Lemayhew? How big is the role that Gary Sanchez is going to play? These are all the questions we have to, to answer. And to answer them with me today, joining me in just a moment, is my man, Alec Argento. If you listen to this pod, you know him, you love him, you might hate him, but he knows his baseball, he knows his Yankees. He's actually got some pretty good thoughts on the Mets as well. And then after that, we talk some really interesting stuff in regards to the DH, a universal DH maybe in baseball one day. We're uh, Playing against the shift, the analytics uh, overwhelming presence in baseball and what it means today, tomorrow, and moving forward. And even a little bit about contracts, I'm a Pete Alonso. Getting the call up, what does that mean? What does it say about an organization? It's all things we talk about. So stay tuned. It's Pete. It's Alec. It's you. It's a Sports Blog New York podcast talking Mets, Yankees, and all things baseball. What's up, everybody? This is the Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to the SBNY pod. I apologize that we haven't come to you sooner, but I told you we'd be back with some baseball content, and here we are with my baseball guy, Alec Argento, is in the house to talk some ball, some major league spring has sprung baseball, man. Alec, what's up, dog?
1: Uh, no, nothing much. I'm happy and I'm sad at the same time. We'll
0: get into it. <laughs> oh, we are going to get into it. And, uh, if you're not familiar with Alec and I's work, especially when it comes to major league baseball, uh, Alex, the resident Yankee and baseball expert, uh, has nice, you know, I think, I think one thing I'll, I'll give us both some credit here. We both treat our, uh, you know, other New York teams with respect. You know, I'm a Mets fan. I think I've been on the on this podcast multiple times saying the Yankees are more exciting, like more things to talk about, better run franchise. I, some some of those things are obvious, but as a Mets fan, I can accept that, I respect it, I appreciate it, and I think you do a good job, like calling out, uh, shooting your shot with Pete Alonso before the season started, saying he was going to rake, and it looks like you're right. So off the bat, props to us for you know giving kudos where it's due and poking at our uh, respective New York baseball teams, where it's due as well, because there's going to be some holes to poke through with your Yankees, specifically, in the beginning of the season. But like you said, you're happy and sad at the same time. Uh, what's been the first weekend of baseball for you? Uh,
1: I mean, i just, you know visiting the hospital, visiting my friends, all of the Yankees kids the past week uh, you know <laughs> everybody on the 25 man roster is over there so it's really fun and, and we just you can't score runs so that's fun but baseball back, baseball weather is dope it was like 65 degrees out I got to cut out of work early to go watch the game 4 o'clock nothing better than all the day games you get in April and May so I'm still pretty happy, and you know, games don't really start to matter just yet, uh, unless uh, like last year when the Red Sox went on like a 25 and one run in April. Uh, but so far, so good. And, uh, just in terms of baseball being back, and hopefully, um, our injury woes are all over in April and good for the rest of the season for the Yanks. Uh, but I'm still having fun rooting for the Mets, to be honest with you, which is something I never said in my life before, um, with the way Brody's running the team and having some fun people on the squad.
0: Yeah, I think you texted me a couple days before opening day, and you were just like, dude, Pete Alonso going to be a stud. Like, Like, I love him. You were like, I'm all in on this guy. It was before he even played his first game, before he took his first MLB hacks. And I was there too, and I was really proud of the Mets for making that call, which... It, it, let's We're going to get into it deeper later, but to be quite honest, it's probably not easy if you're in the front office when you're saying we can wait 20-something games to gain an extra year on this guy's contract, or we can put him on the roster right now. And soon as the first uh, opening day lineup came out and he was slotted in the two-hole, I was like, thank God the Mets made this decision because them putting him in the two-hole— says straight up that they, he, they think he's the best hitter on the team, or if not the best, a top two or three hitter on this team right away. He's
1: got 80-grade power, dude. 80-grade power. That's as high as you can go. <laughs>
0: and Yeah, just to set the precedent for all types of young players in their organization, that if you perform, that if you look like you're that good, you're going to be rewarded for it. And it's not a precedent that we could have expected from the Mets in the past. So we're off the bat. I think it, it's cool that they did that. Um, And, you know, it's something we're going to get into a lot much much later in the show because we first want to dive into this Yankee team. And, and I know you mentioned the injuries have been crazy until Lewicki just on Wednesday afternoon. He gets sent to the hospital for MRIs for his calf. We have Andujar might needing surgery and out for the season. We have Stanton on the IL. We have we have all these injuries with the Yankees. It feels like you guys are the Mets of last year with the injuries he got early in the season. And um, I'm also feeling some deja vu, not going to lie. Because let's be honest, last year the Yankees didn't start super hot. They just didn't, and they were healthy last year. Mets sure. started super hot, yeah. ended super cold. So I'm getting some deja vu <laughs> in that sense. But are you hitting a panic button, or are you just upset with the no. injuries? So like, where are you at in in one week?
1: It just you know what it is. I I think I texted you happy holidays on opening day just because I'm so pumped up every year. Like it's my favorite day of the year is opening day and it just i'm not hitting the panic button i would be crazy to start hitting the panic button it's just and and i'm sure I, I haven't listened to sports radio because i have no need to nothing to really talk about for the yankees but i'm sure there's people panicking and saying how horrible everything is and it's like it's not fun when i'm watching the yankees strike out like 17 times today i think i was the end up number against the tigers but what does it really matter in the long run you know it's just like I just want to get pumped up. Like I went to opening day and I went to the second game at the stadium and I was just hype city, you know, and I I want to just gain some momentum. So I I look forward to coming home and watching the game every night and like having a result where I think we could win because, you know, watching a three hit game against the Tigers or the Orioles just isn't so much fun, especially when you have like, you know, Ryan Tuffman or whatever the hell his name is uh, starting in left field for you. (laughs) I believe you're talking about
0: Matt Talkman
1: whatever his name is. Just
0: think. <laughs> and it's,
1: it's like, and that's like another thing too, is just everybody. And there's, there's so many good things going on on the Yankee team right now. Like everybody that they sign, like DJ LeMay, who looks awesome. Adovino looks awesome. Britain looks like he's back to like that 2016, 2017 form. And it's just our offense. Just, Stinks right now and, and really what can you do like judge has no protection so he's just going to keep walking and nobody's going to hit around him. so you know new boy like i don't know maybe maybe he was a thing i know he had that big first game and everything but guy strikes out on everything and, and tyler Wade, tyler Wade stinks cliff Frazier's too aggressive out there gary looks pretty all right which is nice you'll see he has a good swing and he's got a good eye out this year but um it's just like the offense has nothing to root for and I'm sure there's a lot of people right now Looking at what Harper's doing And uh, I don't know what Machado's doing Because he's in San Diego But He hit his first um, home run today
0: On Wednesday
1: yeah. yeah, but I'm sure there's a lot of people That are still saying Like, oh, well, we see what happens When you don't time these people Which, I mean, I did want one, or one end or both of them But, you know that, the, these guys will be back at some point this month, the majority of them, and, and we'll figure it out. We actually have a lot of depth, which is why you you have some, like, professional hitters still on the team uh, with this many injuries, which so, But um, I'm actually having kind of a lot of fun rooting for the Mets, uh, which, like I said before, I've never had any ability to do uh, <laughs> before. But yeah. I'm liking Brody, I'm liking the culture, and um, they're fun.
0: So I mean, how about Jacob DeGrom? And I want to stick on the Yankees for another minute, but let's be honest, like, this guy, Jacob DeGrom, is just crazy. Like, he's so good, and it's just unbelievable to watch. And now he hits a dinger on Wednesday. He does
1: it all, yeah. Yeah,
0: he hits a dinger on Wednesday. He shuts out the Marlins and is just incredible. Again, 31st game in a row, or 31st start in a row, where he allowed three or less runs. 14 strikeouts. It, it's just incredible, and we're going to get to that. I want to stick on the Yankees for a second. Um, I'm, I'm almost, like, obviously I'm a little upset. We usually do our, our Preseason pod where we break down the Yankees, we break down the Mets, give some highlights across the MLB, and we didn't get that. You know our schedules are pretty tight nowadays, and uh, we didn't get that that pod in. So I was a little upset. But then the way the first weekend went for the Yankees, I'm like, you know, everything we would have talked about for a big preview show would have been so weird to see come to fruition because it didn't. Because Giancarlo Stanton was out of lineup before you could blink, uh, like Miguel and Duhar out of lineup before you can blink. And all these things happen for the Yankees. Tulowitzki's hurt now, and it's just weird. It's just weird off the bat. But there's two people specifically I want to highlight here, and I want to get further thoughts from you on. First off, he, he you just mentioned him, DJ Lemayhew. So after the first game of the season, I was listening to Michael K. Show, and Michael K. said that w- when you talk about some of the older Yankee fans and and the young ones as well. There's going to be a guy who midway through the season you're going to find yourself just absolutely in love with because he's a real baseball player. He's going to spray the ball around. He's going to do the little things. He's not going to be home run or bust, and he's going to fill some really important cracks for this Yankee team. And I think off the bat, I mean, the dude's bad in leadoff. Who could have guessed that that would be happening uh, probably every day at this point? But DJ LeMayhu feels like such an important signing. I don't know if that's good or bad. But what are your early thoughts on this Lemayhu guy and what he can bring to the team from defensive versatility to just offensive consistency?
1: No, I actually love that 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 signing when they signed him. It was just really hard to like battle my emotions because it meant we weren't getting Machado. Um, but I, I've been big on Lemayu for years. He, when he was in Colorado, he won a batting title like three years ago or two years ago, not, like not that long ago at all. And he's not doing it by hitting home runs or, or, or like really hard doubles. That guy can aim the ball. It's old school baseball, and um, you know, on a team where everyone's just. Swing for the fences and striking out like we did today, sixteen times. I'm granted he he struck out twice today. Um, to have someone who has control of the ball and is a clap and put it in play and start rallies, I can't remember the last time the Yankees have not had issues like hitting with runners in scoring position. And if you get him up, he's the guy you want because he can spray a single when somebody's on second and score that run, especially when you know you're getting you're, you're getting sixteen strikeouts in a game, uh, especially with um, with Miggy being out for the year. Uh, most likely, you, you could slot him over at third base. He's got the size for third base, and he won Gold Gloves before. Um, and he's holding up like no money on, on, on the luxury tax cap whatsoever. So he's dope, uh, and I think he's going to be the perfect guy. But he's also like not. I don't think he's going to be a guy you're in love with. He's just going to be a guy who quietly hits like 300 and like has like a like a 350 on base percentage and just toss the ball around, kind of like a like a better version of Ronald Torres, who actually plays every
0: day. Right, and you know, in in your stadium, which I mean we all know is a little bit smaller, he may have some sneaky pop. You know, he's not a big home run hitter, but he can he can put the ball out of the park. Uh, I, I feel like I saw him hit a double recently that I was like sneaky. He for that, yeah. It was today, right off the left field. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. Uh, then Judge yeah. hit him in for your only run of the game. Sorry for that weird, yep. that weird <laughs> poke there, but <laughs> he hit a ball that, like, he looked like he just grooved it, and it almost made its way out of left field there. So I think we're going to really enjoy having well, DJ that
1: That's another thing, too, is that, like, it's cold out. I know it's, like, 65 today, but the ball—the the Yankees have been hitting balls to the warning track, like, every at-bat that are getting caught or, like, hitting line drives that are just getting caught— on a hotter night, when it's like 80 degrees out in July, those balls are flying out of the park. So I don't think their swings are bad. I just think that because they don't have any play on the team that really just slaps singles, um, they can't really afford to have those. The home run is only on the team right now. You know what
0: I mean? Absolutely. And another guy I want to talk about, because I mentioned uh, two guys who I, I, I thought were going to be important before and now feel even more important now. The next guy is Gary Sanchez. So, obviously, he had just a, an abysmal season last year from a health standpoint to a product productivity standpoint. I was super high on him last year. I maintained that this year and, set, and kind of believe he's going to have a, a big-time bounce-back year. The power numbers are still going to be there. I think he gets the average back up. He already has a couple home runs uh, with the injuries. What do you hope to get out of this guy? And what do you realistically, what do you need out of Gary Sanchez offensively?
1: I want to see him going back to trying to hit something to right center, to, to right field, to right center and going the other way. Cause he just wasn't doing that at all last year. I, I think Gary is, and I heard somebody else, said, I think Ryan Ruth was saying on a podcast I was listening to, um, but he's like a, he's a super sensitive guy who listens to the media which isn't good for being in new york <laughs> you know you want somebody who can kind of uh, you know get that out but you're but we're also kind of forgetting how young a lot of people on our team are right now like i, thinking, I, was, I think 24 years old 25 years old or something like that um you know I, i'm i'm looking to just accept that you're going to get some pass balls with that with him i don't think that's the worst thing being you know with the amount of. Uh, with, with the the believers and the starters that we have with the amount of movement they have on their pitches and especially with the emphasis on breaking balls this year as opposed to um fastballs you know we're, we're going away from fastballs as a team uh and it's going to be hard to catch those everyone's going to have a pass, have a lot of fastballs with this staff and i just want to see him get off to an early start so he doesn't have to fear the distractors um On the offensive side, because that's where we know he is. You know, we we you don't make him the catcher of the future and trade away Brian McCann in his first like month and a half if you don't think he's that guy. So he's just got to get into a groove early. He's not doing poorly. I think he's batting like 220, but averages don't really matter this early in the season. He's seeing the ball go out of the park, which is nice. Um, and I think that just the more he sees that, the more he's going to get into a groove and then he'll forget how. Uh, that uh, 2018 even happened because I, I don't think that 2018 is what Gary Sanchez is, and I think he's someone who is going to be, you know, continue to be the, the 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 in the long lineage of Yankees catchers who are great offensively.
0: Yeah, and just so far he has two home runs, four hits uh, in, in four games, uh, but two of them are dingers. And uh, compared to some of the other guys on the team, he's not striking out that much. I I just think no. he I think he's so important. I I think he is. Well, You know when he's right taking he's taking walks the, too. Yeah, when he's right he's walks the too, best. isn't something he does. True, he only has one this season so far. But when he's right, he's not just one of the best hitting catchers in the league. He's one of the best hitters in the league, and we've seen it before. I probably had too high expectations last year, but I think he gets back to somewhere in that range of just being a, a dominant bat in the middle of this lineup. And and with the injuries, you guys clearly need it. Um, one more guy I want to talk about is Luke Voigt and you mentioned him quickly. So he turned from a guy who was like a saving grace last year to a hero to a relied upon player in the playoffs. And coming into this year with the you know role he was going to be having, which is a top 3 or 4 guy in the order most nights or maybe not with Giancarlo healthy, but you know once he's out what what can what can you really expect? Yeah, he better clean up on opening day. But you know, maybe he drops to five if Sanchez is right <laughs> and he's behind Sanchez. Did that happen too fast? Like, did, is this too fast for Luke Voigt, or or is he all right? Like, do you have a lot of trust in him?
1: I don't know. I just don't think you need four power bats in a row. You know, and, and I under I understand we're righty heavy too. Like, we don't have any lefties on the on the team for the most part, outside of Bird, which is another reason I wanted Harper. Um, but. I don't know. I just, I, I, he's, you gotta, gotta, gotta give everyone a little bit more of an extended period. I'm giving everyone till May, uh, before I start giving up on people, unless he bats 100 for <laughs> the next four weeks. But right. I mean, he's got the pop and everything like that. He's not a great defensive first baseman, which is, you know, kind of a saving grace of, of Greg Bird is that he's a lot better defensively. And that's why he's you know been starting at first and, and boy being kind of the DH more, more often. Um, I don't know. I, we just have too many swing and miss guys on the team. I don't mind that, but it's just hard, hard to get excited for 16 strikeouts in a game. He's gonna. He's good for three a game if a, a pitcher's on, you
0: know? Absolutely. And moving on to another guy who is the opposite of swing and miss, but is also on the back end of his career, and that's Brett Gardner. He's a guy who last year I thought was done. I didn't want him in your leadoff hole last year. I didn't want... I didn't want him really playing every day, to be honest. But obviously, I know what he brings. I know his veteran leadership. I know he's a great defensive outfielder. Is it is it time for Brett Garner to just not be in, oh in the God. lineup? Like, what's going on here? Because I I was kind of out last year. Some people of are holding on. It. Some people hold on. I don't dude, know. I don't know what it I is, think, dude. I think he's getting paid eleven million dollars a year, and like Adam Jones is getting paid
1: three million dollars a year. So you know what the price of veteran leadership is. $3 million a year. That's what you could have gotten Adam Jones for, right? So, why are we paying him this much? He can't, he makes no contact anymore. I, I guess it, it, I mean, he is a good defensive outfielder, so I'm not going to give him any, any crap on that. Yeah, it's not like he has but a great arm or anything, right.
0: but he can definitely cover ground in that small left field. He,
1: he <laughs> a good fourth outfielder at this point in his career, which, right. which isn't, it isn't a problem. But um, you know, you don't sign a fourth outfielder to twelve million dollars, you know, like the, or whatever the hell he's getting paid for. He strikes out so much; he's not like the guy who would grind out thirteen pitch at bats anymore. He, which is fun. Like I get it; he's older, and, and for someone who's just you know made a career off of poking singles and and being a really good, uh, a speedy guy on the base path and on the field, he just doesn't have it anymore. Which is totally fine. But like, let's move on. We don't have to keep bringing these guys back for for a year just because he was, you know, always a Yankee. Who cares? He's it's like, weird because it's un,
0: it's on un- Cashman, like frankly, like frankly, it's like Cashman is the one guy in sports where I can look to and just be like, this dude's going to be ruthless. He's not giving out, you know, uh, final contracts just to give them a victory lap. Like he's not doing that. He's signing the best players, and maybe that was their best option. But like you said, that's a lot of money I, like, for it. a fourth outfit I got it too because.
1: He's doing it too with CC, and I get that because CC had a good year last year. He's had like for what you're paying CC, you're getting your money's worth. I know he's hurt right now. He had a heart. He's having a heart surgery, but you know like. The, the last year he was fine. He's someone you would definitely bring back for a last season as a fifth star, right? Brett Gardner has no ha, has not been advantageous in his team in over a year. I mean, he, he's been a detriment to it, which is why you he didn't start in the playoffs and you traded for Andrew McCutcheon and you have um Clint Frazier and, and Esteban Florio on the wings and you have three other outfielders that, that are starters. So why the hell is he still on the team in general? I mean, we care that he's, back, he's backing up everyone right now. It stinks. He's right. starting an opening day.
0: It's interesting. Um, moving on to the pitching staff, I want to touch on a couple more Yankees things before we pop over to the Mets. Uh, James Paxton, first thoughts on Mister Paxton. How do you feel about this guy?
1: Uh, I don't know. you gotta get you got to get some time. I'm worried about him. I, I feel like every time we trade for a pitcher, it never goes well. When was the last time it worked? Um, you know, I feel like the last time it worked was like Randy Johnson, even that was mixed bag. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but you know, I, he's—I I worry that he's going to be the next Sonny Gray because that's what's in my head. And his line from the last game isn't his. I, I, yeah, there's an error on there, and he still gave up a couple hits afterwards. So he gave up more runs than earned runs. Uh, and I don't think he looked that great on that second day in the stadium. So. um I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't think he was that he was worth Justice Sheffield. I thought Justice Sheffield, I, I remember uh, I was with you the night that they got traded. I just didn't know how to feel about it. Right. Uh, because he's someone who gets hurt all the time on a team of players that get hurt all the time. <laughs> and, um, you know, when he's on, he's capable of throwing a no hitter. He's also like, capable, you know, I think he, he threw for like a 3 7 ERA last year. So, what are we really hoping for when he goes into a tougher division with the with the Red Sox and the uh, uh, and the Rays, we are both really good teams? So, um, I don't know. He didn't look that great to me, but I, I, obviously, I'm not gonna. These are just initial reactions. I'm not gonna jump on him off, off a one start.
0: Absolutely, and that's what that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for some initial reactions, nothing crazy. You know, you know how it is. Just some some, uh, some off, oh, sure. off the cuff, out of the freaking hip pocket. Some fire takes from you, and that's what we're getting. And uh, speaking, oh, sure. speaking of fire takes, and this will be the last thing before we hop over to our New York Metropolitans. Uh, I just see people just berating Aaron Boone, like berating him on Twitter. And I get it. Um, I'm sorry. Every single L that a, a baseball team takes, there's some people out there uh, just criticizing the manager for something that he did wrong or didn't do. And I get it. I get how baseball works and how you can blame the manager for things and managing a bullpen and playing this person in the lineup and blah, blah, blah. I get it. But in Aaron Boone's first year, I try to remind people of this, he actually had a successful season, despite everybody thinking he was a horrible manager last year. If you look at the pure win total, it was a successful season, right? I'll say that. Now, a couple of weeks into into year two, obviously the criticism will rise as uh, his experience rises and the, and the results don't change are you still nervous? Are you still out on Aaron Boone, or wh- where do you land? Actually, I don't want to put words in your mouth.
1: Uh, I th- I think he's a horrible manager. <clears throat> I think he's a he's a clubhouse guy. You know, clubhouse manager, players, players coach, uh, but. I mean, you, he immediately does all the things that he did last year that were, would infuriate me. Every time he puts a reliever in there for that second, second inning, they're going to give up a home run. It happens 100% of the time under him. Chad Ted Green didn't today, which ended up being <laughs> losing runs. At that. It, I, I, Pete, I told you this all year. I know you year, did. How, I know. But you it would drive me crazy. I like your strong and, and take you,
0: about hundred percent of the time. I just know it's obviously not hundred percent of the time. So I like to remind <laughs> no, you that it's you're being
1: 110% sarcastic 110 percent of the time. <laughs> oh right, right. right. It's hundred and ten percent of the time. <laughs> it, it's infuriating. I'm so sick of it. I can't, I can't watch it anymore. It's just it's so common And like you know, Bird finally like hits well, and, and, and then you you have a, uh, a righty pitcher in that uh, the, you know the next game, and you sit Bird out for some reason what are you doing here? You need more lefties in the lineup to break it up. Nope. Just, just going to sit on there. The hit the home run. He's on the bench the next day. There's no rhyme or reason to why they're doing, to why he's doing anything. He's overly analytical. And it really shows in the beginning of the season, because you don't want a lot of your starting pitchers to go too deep into games. because You don't want them to get hurt. So you take them out with like 60 pitches or 70 pitches and then you have to see all the bullpen decisions that, 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 that Boone makes. He makes the most boneheaded uh, or Boone-headed decisions. Oh, ho, ho.
0: wow. My, <laughs> God, my man. Did you just think of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was so bad, but I love it. Oh, man. yeah, yeah It's so tough. I, I get it. it. I get it. Like, he hasn't shown a lot to really help his case other than the fact that the team won games last year. So I am I get that. I totally get that. And I'd love to remind people how much y'all, and when I say y'all, I don't mean you specifically or maybe you listening right now, but I mean a bunch of you, and they, you know who they are, we know who they are, who wanted Girardi gone. They were sick of him. No. There were so many people out there who hated Girardi. Now they hate Boone and I guess until Joe Torre comes out of retirement, every Yankee fan is going to hate their manager. It's a tough spot, but I I feel you. And I'm not saying Aaron Boone's a good manager. I'm just saying it's typical to really hate on the manager like that. And uh, I don't know what to make of
1: it. I don't want to keep talking about that, but I remember saying to you as well, when the Yankees were one game, like they were one game away from the World Series, I was saying, wow, Girardi can really do whatever he wants. can ask for whatever he wants in negotiations. The Yankees will have to do it. And they just caught him for this jerk. Um, it makes no sense to me. It's just infuriating to me because I actually love Gerard. I thought he was a great, uh, great manager for the Yankees. And just to go from that to this is yeah.
0: infuriating. And so now I have a question for you. This is uh half-Yankees, half-Major League baseball in general question. Sure. Um, how do you feel about um, you know these calculated rest days a week into the season?
1: Uh, I don't really mind. It depends on the team. Like The Yankees right now are so injury-prone right now. You can't afford to do that, and yet... Yesterday, the, the you know, team that has already no offense and it is like starting all of our backups uh, in, in the lineup. So it doesn't really make any sense to be doing that this early in the season uh, but, uh, for, for that kind of team. But otherwise, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. If they if they miss 10 regular scheduled rest days and it prevents them from losing 30 regular season games when it matters, I'm totally for that. That doesn't bother me.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it's a double, double-edged sword with the Yankee situation, too. It's like... You know, you want them to get their rest, but then the guys are injured so your lineup looks crappy, but then do you want to put extra stress on the guys who are healthy where they become injured, yada, yada, yada but it's only a week into the season, so, like, they should be able to play. <laughs> so it's, double, exactly. it's it's a double-edged sword for sure. Exactly. Um, Sports Blog New York podcast, Pete Kennedy, Al Cargento. We're talking baseball, talking MLB, talking Yanks, talking Mets. It's what we do, and if you like what we do, hit us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. You know, you know those things where you listen to your podcast. Drop a little rating and review. We'd love to hear from you all. I uh, appreciate you tuning in, and um, hopefully we'll be coming – as consistently as we have in the past with some baseball content, we got NBA playoffs right around the corner. We have the final four, which we're not going to talk about at all, but you know, Duke's not in, so no Zion. That's a little sad. Uh, but it's baseball right now, and now it's time to talk about our New York Metropolitans.
1: And by the way, audience, Pete has confirmed to me that this year he will be getting back into baseball more, so we have that to look forward to.
0: I may have said that on the podcast before but <laughs> it, it does feel a little different for me this year, and I don't know if it's just because it's early or Cause because the, the, show. Cause the Mets are actually good. I did buy the show, which does make a difference, I will say. <laughs> it makes me – and you know what's funny? I have a little franchise. I did a, fa- a fantasy draft, so it's not the actual Mets, but I am the Mets, and I've played accidentally the same amount of games day-to-day so far as where they are in the season. So I'm, maybe I'll just do a game a day, a whole, whole 162. I'll make it. What <laughs> Play every single game. That would be, that'd be something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
1: and if the Mets do what they did last year and they go on a huge losing streak, and you stop watching baseball. Your team will not get past May,
0: the and then I'll just start <laughs> watching Summer League again. I mean, I'll probably do that anyway. <laughs> NBA Summer League time. I just gotta lock in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, right, so I, I fell out. out, of, out the no, I will, but I fell out of love with baseball for for a, a hot minute, or A.K.A. maybe two or three years after uh, my college playing days, and and I think each year I've gained a little bit. Of interest back, and this year seems like a, a really big turning point for me to get super hardcore back into the MLB. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes, and I think uh, Pete Alonso and the Mets will have something to say about it. Um, off the bat, love some Pete Alonso. Off the bat, I want to say this because I mentioned it in our like open thing that we did earlier, and there's some deja vu going around here, right? There's some part of me that will constantly remind myself, dude. Last year the Mets were 11 and one. All things were going great. Mickey Calloway looks like a stud in the the bench in the dugout, whatever. And then everything went to hell. The Yankees were 500. They win 100 games. The Mets are trash for most of the season, right? So there's part of me that keeps saying, Pete, this has happened before. Don't get your hopes too high, right? But then I look at this lineup. Then I look at this roster. I remind myself of DeGrom, Syndergaard, and Wheeler and the upgraded bullpen with Edwin Diaz and Jerry's Familia. And it feels a little different. And now I'm not going to go crazy with it and say, hey, you know, this team's a playoff team. They're going to win the NL East. But I look at this team. It has actual depth. We're not relying on Adrian Gonzalez and Todd Frazier and Jose Bautista (laughs) and Jose Reyes. It's not 2010. Right? That was last year. I know. but That's my point. That's my point. So it feels a lot different this year. And I feel excited. Is that like where I should be at right now? Is what my question is. Uh,
1: that, you know, this is this is what it feels like being a Yankee fan, having a team committed to putting a playoff contender out there this year. That's what they did. Doesn't mean they're going to win everything, but it means you can buy into that when they when when the Mets do make the moves they do, saying, "Hey, we're going all in this year," and that's what they're doing. You don't you don't trade for Robinson, if you know, and Edwin Diaz unless you're trying to go all in this year. And I know that sounds cliche, but like the all in thing, but. That's exciting. It's exciting when, when, when um, the managers uh, pass that message along to the players. The players buy in, and, and they go out there, and they try to win every day instead of giving up in June. I'm not saying they're going to have a great season, but it, it, it feels different this year. It, it, it totally feels different. Um, they're, trying to, they're trying to plug up uh, loose ends. You know They, they don't want to worry about the DeGrom contract talk anymore. He got his extension. You, you don't have you don't want to worry about service time manipulation issues. You give Pete Alonso an opening day nod. Um, you sign smart moves like Jed Laurie, even though he's he's hurt right now. I like it, man. I I can understand why people are excited, whether or not they win anything this year. In that division is probably going to be the hardest one in baseball, but I mean, it's going to be fun to watch and duke it out with the rest of them.
0: Absolutely, and granted, the NL East is strong. I mean, the Phillies look good. Nationals are still a solid, really solid team. The Braves are no joke, and the Mets, if all things go decently—I'm not even saying if all things go perfect. If all things go decently, because they do have the depth, they should be in that race for, you know, that maybe a wild card. Maybe they're going to be within a couple games of division come, you know, August. Maybe they're going to be in striking range. Maybe Pete Alonso will be an all-star. Like you know, there's there's things to be excited about here, and I don't think it's overreactions Better from than Brandon match. Nimmo being your one one all-star right yeah I mean was he our he was our all-star last year because that's crazy he was your all-star last year I mean he was having a nice little season don't get it twisted but it's, that's crazy but think about this last year what were we excited about we were excited about DeGrom just being awesome we were excited about Conforto who had a, a banged up like started getting back to it but mostly down year. Nimmo burst on the scene a little bit and, and what else was there There was nothing else. We were rolling out Wilmer Flores, Jose Bautista, Jose Reyes. Cespedes was hurt, you know, over and over again. We had no idea who our catcher was. We had, I think, he played (laughs) fifty-eight games or something like that. I mean, we had no idea who our catcher was. There is so much more clarity to this team that even if things start to go wrong, a la Todd Frazier gets hurt and Jed Lowry gets hurt. You can still look at this team and look at Jeff McNeil and look at Ahmed Rosario, who's taken a little baby step so far early in the season, and be like, okay, this team's still a, a pro team that's going to compete night in, night out. And, and it's really, really, really cool and Ahmed to Ahmed
1: Rosario was the second overall prospect in baseball a uh, year ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then last year, you know, Mets fans are out here saying, like, this guy can't play, he can't hit, he's not even that good in the field. Like, what do we think? Why do we think this guy was so good? It's like, all right. You know, he's not having a great season. He was batting ninth behind the pitcher a lot, and that's not a good look for my guy. But now he's putting (laughs) the bat on the ball. He's got good size. You look at guys like uh, Elvis Andrews, even like Jerkinson Profar. Like, they didn't really come out of the gates. Jerkinson? no,
1: no. Yeah,
0: that's not his name. Jerkinson? How would you say his first name? Jerickson. Jerickson. (laughs) (laughs) Jerickson. You know what I meant. That was just a slip.
1: I knew you, man. I, <laughs> I should have just went
0: with Profile. Jerickson Profile. Yeah, go. There we go. But you look at guys like that. He, he, he took years to develop. Yeah, they don't come out just like hot hitters. Not everybody is going to be Machado at age 21 being a fantastic hitter driving the ball, or even Andujar or Torres who came out really hot last year. But Rosario has the body, has the build to become a good hitter, and he's starting to show it a little bit early in the season. There's So even if an injury happens – even if something goes wrong, even if even if God forbid Edwin Diaz, something bad happens to him, we have Jerry Familia. Or if Jerry Familia gets hurt or is just trash for some reason, we have Edwin Diaz. We have a couple guys who could probably be fourth or fifth starters on some teams as our long relievers. And granted, Seth Lugo and Gaselman have struggled so far this year. They had good moments in the pen last year. There's things to be excited about with this Mets team, and it's not a fluke.
1: Yeah, I'm with
0: I agree. And uh, I guess that, I mean, my question also w- with the Mets then becomes Mickey Calloway. So Mets fans are very critical of him. Uh, his bullpen management, like Aaron Boone's, comes into question a lot. And an early, he's basically, he's had to run out Edwin Diaz well, to save what? the day because Seth Lugo comes in and has to, he puts him in an extra inning, leaves him in too long, and these same things are happening. When when does it come down like basically like how much of this I don't I don't know if we have an answer for this, but how much of this really falls solely on the manager? Is it just Callaway in the dugout saying, This guy's doing this? Is it just Boone saying, I'm gonna leave Chad Brownie, Chad Green out for an extra inning? Like, isn't there other guys here? Isn't there the front office and the analytics and Cashman pulling the strings from up up top? Like, no, that's the whole problem. That's
1: the whole problem is that it's not these guys. It's an analytics department. And like, I I know I, I actually it's funny because I go, I I usually kind of shit on them, but you always talk about how Buck Showalter is a good manager. Um, and he would always say that you know analytics are great, but at the end of the day, if I have to do a tiebreaker, I'm using my gut. And and Boone and Callaway and. A lot of these new guys that that are, that are new to managing, they don't have the ability to to use that guy because they've never had to use it before. So they, they you know they don't have that experience to make those tough calls, and they just they're brought in to be a players' coach to you know liven up the locker room and everything like that, and just listen to that binder that, 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 that the scouting department prints out for them. You so know? They, they don't. And, they
0: also don't even have the equity, like the position that Alex Cora was put in to give it to be given the autonomy to pull strings uh the way he saw fit at certain points of, of games is not the luxury that all these managers have.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So we end up we end up blaming Boone, we end up blaming Callaway, and because I just don't fully understand the process and because I don't fully know how much autonomy these guys have, I'm hard pressed to take to Twitter and I'm hard pressed to, to come on this podcast and just start ripping these guys up. Cause I just truly don't know how much t- falls on their shoulder. And it becomes tough. But yeah, but
1: I, I mean, that's, that's the problem, though, is that, I don't know, you have a lot of, the, the bullpen has become the most, probably the most important position, or the most important aspect of, of a baseball team. And it just seems like so many players, are, are, are so many teams are, are fucking it up with their, with their managers. And, um, you know, I, I, there's there's certain things that, that, that an eye test can just tell you. You don't need to be doing right. If if Verlander, uh, if Chatman is coming in there throwing 93 miles an hour, you know he's not going to be getting a lot of people out. Let's not keep him out there and just hope for the best. Or you know have Chad Green out who has a one two three inning and because he's under 30 pitches, we should just have him moment into the second. The eye test would tell you, let's not do this. Like it's just common sense. But they're just they're like they're like Ron Burgundy reading up the teleprompter. They can only read what's in front of them and can't make any decisions for themselves.
0: It's a great analogy. That's an A one <laughs> uh, analogy right there. Now I mean and you know what? <laughs> this is gonna bring us to some, some more conversations we wanna have here. And you know, we talked a lot about the Mets and the Yankees already, so we let's segue into some of this stuff because it becomes more overarching baseball conversations here with the analytics with uh you know the gms pulling a lot of the strings with with the using the gut and all these old things going against the shift, bunting, stealing bags, all these things that we knew or thought we knew about in baseball even 5 years ago, definitely 10 15 years ago have changed, changed drastically. And there's some teams that it feels like are kind of correcting the analytics uh, waterfall, if that makes sense. So Chili Davis is the uh, new hitting coach for the Mets. So I did not know much about, I knew he was an ex-player, but I didn't know anything about him. 18-year career or something like that, decent hitting career. Chili Davis, new uh, hitting coach for the Mets. And over this first week of games for the Mets, I, I can see a change in approach for guys like Dominic Smith and, when they're uh, lefties at the plate for Mike, like Mike Conforto and they're shifting hardcore and there's a guy on base, they are, they're taking the two strike approach of, all right, maybe uh, I missed my first two strikes to uh, really drive the ball. Now I'm going to hit a crappy ground ball through the shortstop and get a hit. And it's something that was like taboo for the last season or two with the home run count going up, the strikeout count going up. But, Am I crazy to think that there is going to be a correction of sorts in baseball this year, next year, a little bit as we go with trying to beat the shift with maybe a little bunt action here and there I don't with know. the pitching changes? Know, because I'm not sure.
1: I'm not sure either because like I watched today and, and the, the Yan- when the Yankees are playing, they, they had like a super shift on and Nick Goodwin was up to the plate and he, he pretended he was going to bunt. He, if he bunted, it, it would have been physically impossible to uh to have filled with that thing and he just pretended it and then ended up striking out you know (laughs) and um i I don't i don't think people are going to do it and especially because people are you know because because there's such an emphasis on these analytics that's what players are being evaluated at and valued at when they go to signing but people thought andrew jones was going to get a lot bigger contract than he did but then they realized you know old school stats are are what um what pays the bills anymore. So people, the players are going to change their approach to the analytics way and whatever is going to make sense for them. So if it doesn't make sense for them analytically to uh, bump down the base path or um, for people to change up their game, they're not going to, they're going to do it up. They're only going to change their game towards whatever increases their paycheck. As, as, right. as, as, that's what happens going forward. Cause people, this is what's going to happen. The players that are going to get higher awards every year, like the Mike Trout's or the Bryce Harper's or whatever, who don't, you know, who don't look like old school baseball players, that's what everyone. That's who's getting paid right now, and everyone's just going to change their game according to that.
0: Right. And then uh, the conversation then from there moves to how the game changes come playoff time, right? So we've had now some examples, the Oakland A's being a strong example, the Yankees of the past two seasons being another example of being these heavily analytic-based teams not exactly find the ultimate success come playoff time. And we had Alex Cora, who uh, is on record... Um, from multiple reports of being able to kind of go outside of analytics in big moments when he f- sees fit, like you said, Terry Francona does the same thing. Joe Madden is a freaking loose cannon when he was with Chicago Cubs. Um, so there is some examples in playoff time where they go against the grain a little bit. So my question is, for, not for like not for the Francisco Lindors, not for the Aaron Judges, the Bryce Harpers, the Mike Trout's. These guys are good enough that if there's a, sh- a defensive shift against them, they're good enough where you want them. Uh, putting their best swing on the ball no matter what. But when you talk about the average guys or the below average guys who are getting beaten by the shift, right? Like Aaron Judge, Lindor, those types of guys, they're not getting beat by the shift. Dominic Smith on the Mets... He's getting beat by the shift last year, right? He wasn't a good hitter. He's getting. Yeah, end ended his
1: career because of the shift.
0: Exactly. So, is there a point? And I don't have the math. I don't know how the hell they do these numbers. Some of the some of the other than the obvious ones. Is there a breaking point where if you're getting beat by the shift and you are now average or below average and you're not top notch, does just hitting a shitty ground ball through the shortstop hole when it's wide open does that start to swing things in your favor? Does it move the shortstop? From basically playing second base to behind the bag to give you a little extra hole, to, like where is the breaking point for this? That's why I, I feel like there's some sort of correction coming, and I don't know if just because it maybe it's early, that. but maybe it's just early season emphasis from this guy, Chili Davis, on and the Mets. And I've been watching mostly Mets games. Maybe it's just early season uh, stuff going on here, but it feels like it might have some weight to it for certain players. If I'm if I'm if I have Aaron Judge at the plate, I don't want him worrying about. Where the shortstop's playing, to be quite honest. I want him swinging his best swing. But if I have a guy who's not Aaron Judge, who's batting 250 and has a 320 on base percentage, I want him to do whatever the hell he can in a big moment to make a play. And for Dominic Smith the other night against the Marlins, he was leading off the game. And, uh, you know, he's, he's technically a guy who should be driving the ball, right? But in that specific situation, in the ninth inning, he led off the inning. He was a leadoff guy. We needed it on base. And he shot a shitty ground ball right at shortstop, but there was no one there. He got on base and ended up scoring the go-ahead run. So the correction is possible. I just don't know if enough people, especially the people pulling the strings, uh, GMs, are going to buy in.
1: You know what they might say though? Like, there's more than one way to beat the shift. It's not just sending a bump down the uh, down the base path. You look at Aaron Judge, and the reason that that, that people don't shift on him is because. It doesn't matter when when your exit velocity is that high and you're smoking a ground ball. It's going to get in. It's going to get by you no matter who where you're placed. You right. Know, it's it's a, either in the hole. It's to, in the hole or it isn't. Right. Exactly. So it's it, it, that's the whole thing is that you know teams will look for the players that have that natural ability to, to hit higher higher exit velocity or higher lift rate on things like that. So people can't change their game sometimes just because they're physically incapable of doing what, what the game needs them to do right now. It's not all about just hitting a bump. So it's that easy to just hit a bump down the, uh, for the baseline everyone will be doing it. it, it it's not going to open it up every time. Absolutely. And if that happens, then maybe, you know what I mean? Like it, it, maybe they'll just allow that. And then, well, I don't know, they'll find another way to, to, to get around it too. Everything happens uh, in baseball and really any sport in a in, in cycle, you know, this, the, the defensive shift, the openers, and things like that. They'll be the flavor of the month. They're going to be the wildcat offense in baseball. Uh, they'll be popular for a couple of years, and then you'll never hear about it again. You know?
0: I mean, um, uh, I don't know. I, the shift, I don't know if it's going away. I mean, unless they ban it, which it, I, I think is crazy. And Maybe we'll get to that. That's ridiculous. You can't ban it. It's, I agree. It's,
1: I, I think it sucks, but you can't ban it. They're it's not like, doing anything illegal. It's,
0: imagine telling players to not use the knowledge they have to put themselves in a better place to win. Like that's what the uh, banning the shift says. Hey, you, you're gonna you, see. You have all this.
1: this,
0: to such a different, no, uh, this. No, sorry, I was gonna say you have all this data on why uh, Aaron Hicks always hits the ball in this spot, but now I'm not gonna let you stand in that spot. Like that's crazy to me.
1: Yeah, it's unfair. Who, who is it benefiting? You know? and, and especially because if they're, if they're talking about, like, you know, time like the games and everything like that, everything that the Major League Baseball does is that kind of stuff is so counterintuitive because, like, the game will go down if you have less hits in the game, you know? <laughs> so <Right>. um, Creating <laughs> opportunity for more hits and, and everything like that is, is, is counterintuitive. But but they also want the, more the, hits. The, yeah. Weird. The, yeah. The, the game is going to change so dramatically when the next CBA hits Because um, the last CBA, the the players didn't get nearly what they should have in terms of, like, you know, what they should have asked for. Um, And it changed the game so negatively for them. You're going to see huge swings of what the game looks like in, like, five years. And maybe because of that, you get rid of, you know, all the things that we're complaining about right now just because the, the players aren't happy with it either, you know?
0: Right. So before we get into some of that uh, CBA contract stuff, because I think it's actually super duper interesting, and I just use super duper in a serious sentence, so I don't know what that means, but I want to talk about the designated hitter. We've talked about this. I think when we first started this podcast, which was about like two years ago now, if anybody mm-hmm. from two years ago is still listening today, I love you and you're my best friend. Uh, and if you're just new, is your first time or your third time, whatever it is, thank you still for listening. But maybe you heard still this. Yeah, <laughs> you're still my best friend. <laughs> maybe you've heard this. Maybe you haven't heard this. But Alec and I have been very strong willed on the fact that the National League should also have a DH. It should be a universal DH in baseball because the more and more I think about it, and I'll let you jump in in a hot sec, the more I think about it, Alec. How did I not think this was stupid my entire life? I get when I was nine years old, I'm brainwashed, right? The game is the game. I respect it. I love it. It was my favorite thing in the world, right? I'm 16, and I didn't think of this yet. It took until I was like 20 years old. I'm like, yo, this is stupid that there's two leagues in the same – or two conferences in the same league, an American League and a National League. They have different rules. Can you imagine the AFC and NFC having different rules? The Um, the NBA, the East and Western Conference, having different rules. And then in the most important series of the year, you know what? We're just going to mishmash the rules together. And uh, neither of you are prepared for this, but you'll figure it out. It's fine. It's only the most important games of the year. Like, what? It's so crazy, Alec. And every single time I see a National game, which is every time I watch the Mets, which is every day so far this year and beyond, it just blows my freaking mind.
1: Well, I don't mind as much that there's different rules for different uh, leagues because I think that's actually kind of cool. One of the few things that's cool about baseball is like you go to a different ballpark, it's sized differently. Like I think that's cool. Um, what, what bothers me is just like who really wants to see a pitcher hit? You know, I was talking about this with you before. Is that I was saying, oh, I wish the grounds home run counted for my fantasy team. But then again, like you, you've made a good point. No, I don't because <laughs> because that would mean that every time he strikes out. Uh, that would also count. Right it's cool every now and then, but I, I have no interest in watching a pitcher hit all the time. Double shifts are not exciting. I don't care <laughs> if you talk about the pure the purity of the game. You're a loser, and like you're just all those old heads. Those are the old heads that you know the, the old the uh, steroid writers that, that don't don't want you know. A-Rod in the, in the Hall of Fame or, you know, all those type of people and, and don't like backflips and stuff like that. Just get out of here. You're a loser. Get out of here. <laughs> I want to see a more exciting part of the game. You know, and I think that's something that people talk When people say the pace of the game, they they're not talking about, like, the length of the game, really. They're talking about pace, meaning stuff's happening all the time. That doesn't happen better than when, when you can have a good hitter where you can find a spot for him like the Mets have had, needed for the past 60 years, you know, um, to, to throw someone in there. So, uh, you know, you, it's going to happen for sure. I mean, every, like every, um, professional writer in the game is saying that it's probably it's going to happen in the next CBA probably within the next five years it's going to be implemented um and it's awesome it makes it it, it it strengthens like it, it elongates the careers of the pitchers in the national league and it gives somebody a job that probably wouldn't have been able to have a job in the national league it creates 15 more 15 more spots on a roster uh for uh for a team uh, in the league
0: and, I mean, just and just because they're in our backyard, but think about the Mets from this perspective. You know, how much would Robinson Cano or Giannis Cespedis, when he comes back, how much would they benefit from being able to DH a couple games uh, in a week or one or two games a week? Or even Pete Alonso and Dominic Smith, who might be, you know, if if Dom Smith uh, turns out to continue to hit well, he might not have a friggin' place to play because we don't have a DH and we have to watch uh, Zach Wheeler and and, uh, Jason Vargas come to the dish. Like, uh, what? (laughs) What? (laughs)
1: <laughs> and I, I think that's what's cool. like look, you look at the Yankees, right? Like the Yankees have four starting outfielders when everyone's healthy, they just cycle through it. You know, one day, most, more times than not, uh, Stanton will be the DH, but if you want to give, uh, judge a half a day off, you can, if you want to give, uh, Hicks a half a day off, you can, you know, it, it's, Really nice that you could just cycle through everyone, and then give everyone those half days off. Where they only have to show up for four four at bats a game or something like that instead of taking the field for nine innings. Right. Um. You, know, you find a spot. Where you can give people more rest time by doing that, uh, and 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 take it from there too. So I, I just think so much more sense to have a DH, and you know I just love when people say like the purity of the game too because. Like, everything in baseball has changed from, like, 30 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> like, but this is the one thing that you die, like, one hill you die on. Like, like every record in baseball is completely different. Like, you probably didn't care when Sammy Sosa in the National League was hitting home runs or Mark the Wire was in the National League, but you care, if you, God forbid there's a DH, you know? It's just so stupid. It's, it's crazy, and I, I, I think
0: it, like, it. It I've, thought, I've felt this for, like, two or three years now. I've really felt pretty strongly about it, but it really, really hit me this spring training when I, I'm on Twitter, and I see uh, the Mets spring training lineup, and I don't really care about spring training, but, you know, we got some new faces. I just want to look look, I look at the lineup. I'm at work. I'm bored, you know? Spring training's fun at this position battle.
1: I, I, that's, that's how I feel about spring training.
0: Sure. That's great. You know, I, I was on Twitter. I was at work. I was bored. I clicked the lineup, and I see Robinson Cano slotted in at the number three hole. As the DH. And I was like, another thing popped in my head. I go, so wait, now we're going to use a DH in spring training, which I've been doing for a while. And so basically not even allow these pitchers to get their hacks in in spring training. But then as soon as the games start to count, we're going to put them back in the lineup. Like it just and they do it in the minors blows they, my they, mind. They have DHs in the minors, yeah, for, for National League. Teams. So let's just think, let, think, let's just not let pitchers hit ever in their life until the games actually count <laughs> for the National League regular season and half the games in the World Series. That makes sense. <laughs> Come on.
1: Yeah, uh, I think I'm pretty sure that outside of the uh, National League and, and Major League Baseball, it's the only professional uh, or semi-professional uh, sports league where the pitcher hits. When I say semi-professional, I mean like minor leagues. I think it's the only it's the only league. in Japan they got rid of it. In the um, you know like the Dominican leagues and all those big leagues that were, where baseball's big, they don't have it anymore. We're the only people that still have it, and it's just in the in half of our league. Right. <laughs> yeah,
0: half the league. And also, you know what? And I'm really happy that we're having this conversation the night of Jacob DeGrom's home run. So Jacob DeGrom <laughs> hit a bomb today, right? This podcast coming on Thursday. Yesterday, while we're recording this. Uh, he hit a bomb. I get it. Hashtag pitchers who rake. I love it. Okay, you find me yeah. a pitcher in the National League of baseball, the me- the me- Major League baseball. Any freaking what? You know what I'm saying? I'm just getting flustered over here. Mm-hmm. Find me a pitcher who is good enough to get in the lineup over who would be their DH and put him in exactly. there. If Madison Bumgarner, <laughs> if you want him, if he tells, if he tells the coach, oh yeah, if you don't put me in the lineup, I'm gonna retire. i will be like, what? Like, sure. All right. You know what, Mad Bum? You can go hit 220 and hit three home runs this season. That's really cool for you. We have a guy who's uh 26. He's a first baseman, but he's not that good. He's going to hit 30 dingers this year. You're not. I'm sorry, pal. Like, Find me a pitcher in the pros who will now hit over a DH. Because if there is one, go ahead. Go get him, DeGrom. If you want to go hit, go for it. But Mad Bum, go hit. Arietta, go hit. Fine but it's not going to happen. There's going to be a DH for you because they're going to be a better hitter than you.
1: I, you're, you're right. though. it had like the past year or so it's picked up so much steam. I don't really know what, what happened to it. Uh, but if by all accounts, it should be done in the next, it should be implemented in the league in like the next five years or so.
0: Hashtag pitchers who rake. <laughs> pitchers,
1: <laughs> pitchers, pitchers who love, have longer careers now.
0: Yeah. Pitchers also love to think that they rake, like, you know, like, uh, even in my college team, you know, once a year the coach would let the pitchers do BP. See, there's even Division Three College, you know, pitchers don't hit even in Division Three College, by the way. Uh so once a year the coach would let the pitchers BP like do BP for fun, like end of the season or something. Uh, and all the pitchers are like, yeah, you know, I used to hit bombs in college, or like, yeah, no, I'm probably a better hitter than you. And then you'd see them come up to play and try to hit the ball out of the park, and they're just rolling over shitty ground balls. And it's like, yeah, no, <laughs> you, you don't practice this. We're not going to make you do it. And that's pretty pretty simple.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you, buddy. And and, and it's nice though that the, you know, it used to be people that would argue you, but I think that for the most part, everyone's on the same page these days. So it's all those old shitty.
0: heads are dying out. It's de- literally, unfortunately, <laughs> not, not not to get too dark here, but I guess the game is is shifting. Yeah, how about that? Um, do boon ahead? <laughs> I don't know if this is off the rails or right where we need to be, but it feels it feels good. It feels really good. Do you have any uh, any last? Uh, topics or thoughts or players you want to shout out? Things you're looking forward to around the league?
1: No, I, I, I want to touch on one thing though. You were talking about uh, how high you were that Pete Alonzo got uh, didn't have to do that service time manipulation. Thing. Oh yes, yes. I th- I think that that's I was thinking about that, and um, I think that that's a really c- clever way for the Mets to come out looking good because I think that the way that it's done right now in the next CBA is going to be gone, so it won't affect them anyway. Like that, that whole service time manipulation thing is going to be extinct by the time it would ever really affect him, uh, like when he gets into that, those arbitration years because of the way CBA is going to be done. And it makes the Mets look like the good guys for you know charging team morale and everything like that by, by keeping it, getting him in there early instead of leaving him down for those 17 days or whatever it is. Um, but in reality, it didn't matter. So I think that was a really savvy move that they did. Ooh,
0: I never even thought about it like that. So you're saying the Mets had a forward-thinking move.
1: I think that's Brody, but that's like that. That's why I like Brody so much. You
0: got that agent mentality. He's always dealing and dealing. He's flying it around. I'm into it. I've re- I'm, I'm I'm into that. And actually, I'm glad you brought this up because it was it is something that was on our list um, before you know we started recording. We wanted to talk about this, and, and it's really cool that Mets did this. It's really cool that Tatis Junior. Fernando Tatis Junior. made a opening day roster as well. Because what it's basically this year. what the precedent that you set to a team when you hold somebody down for 20 days to save a year of the contract is that we don't want to put the best guys on the field. Because if he comes up and all of a sudden, oh, you know, he's our third hitter in our lineup or our two-hitter in the lineup, clearly you value that guy as one of the best players on your team, and you holding him back for 20 games proves that you didn't care about putting the best players on the, on the field. So I think it sends a great message in a game of, of numbers. Uh, there are human beings playing as well. Um, so it sends a great message to the organization, in my opinion. The team has been rallying around Pete Alonzo. I, I haven't watched Tatis Jr. super closely, but I'm sure his teammates are are pro Tatis Jr. He's going to be a stud. Um, so I'm I'm all about this. The only thing that's weird for me, and I guess with the CBA change, like you just mentioned, you might know more about this than I. I I think I think it's just so messed up and weird how like you know a guy who's 20, 21, 22, even Alonzo I think's 24. You kind of don't even really care because you're hoping after those years you're going to extend them anyway. It's really the guys like Judge who get screwed by this because he comes up as an older mm-hmm. as an older person. So he has to go through these arbitration years and all this crap. Which, which, by the and way, he's like 30. Which,
1: by the way, he's not even older. He's not even older. Like this was how baseball was up until like three years ago. Right. Like, this, these ooflaw. I'm not three. You know what I mean? Like, these, well, 8, how, how old like is Judge right now? Coming up at 19. I think he's 26 or just turned 27 either late 26 or just turned 27 so cool. like that's when prospects used to come up from the miners all the time and then they would be good and then they they'd get, they'd, get the, they'd be a free agent when they turned 30 and then they'd get paid with their first and only really big contract and then they'd be on their way because teams used to pay for the past and not pay for the future now teams are you know getting more analytical and, and not doing that and it's just it's just like a, a changing the guard and the people that are lost in that transitionary period are going to get screwed. Um, but this isn't like this is new, people coming up when they're like 24 um, and then or 25 and then having their free agency years when they're 30, 31. It's, it's totally how it's always been. And then I think that like bringing up these prospects when they're 19, 20 years old uh, was always like, okay, let's get them a little bit more ready. When they're a little bit older, they'll be more respected. But now it's, okay, let's get the cheaper years out of them when they'll be productive, they're young, hungry, right. and, um, and then we'll take it from there. But um, Traditionally speaking, that that's when you would always get people, prospects coming up, and that's when they would get their big contract. It wasn't; they would never get these contracts when they were twenty-six. The only people they got that were like A. Rod, you know, when yeah. he was that age,
0: because he actually came up. He was the one percenter, and you know, that's the thing. It's yeah, kind of like Griffey, you know, like people like that. It's kind of like college basketball in the sense when people just do a, a sweeping blanket statement and say you need to pay the players, which I I I agree in some senses, but mostly don't agree because. You know, you're talking about ten guys who probably are are money earning players versus the eight hundred or a thousand people who are in Division one college basketball. So it mm-hmm. gets super duper gray. So in baseball, it's the same thing. Like it's really the one percenters who are good enough to come up at twenty. But now the teams are going to be more inclined to do so because you want, like you said, you want to pay them for the future. You want to pay them what they're worth now, not pay them for what they did because they yep. were so cheap for so long. And it really makes it more worth it. So you know you have less Jacoby Ellsbury situations and more uh, extend. Who what do they, was, who do they the just extend? One Soto. Did Soto time? just get an extension? Is that who got it? Acuna. Acuna, Acuna just got, got an extension. Time. Yeah. Like that's that's so cool. Like, when was the
1: last time? When was the last time? Like outside of like that first A-Rod contract, I can't remember the first time there was like a big eight to ten year contract that worked out for a team. Like, I really can't. It just doesn't happen because then teams are aware of that now. I remember I actually, not to brag, I actually met Brian Cashman once and I asked him a question about well, sending out those, those 10-year contracts again, and he said We're, we, the Yankees won't be doing that ever again. Granted, he, that, that next offseason he offered to Jacoby Elvary an eight-year deal. Uh, but,
0: <laughs> you didn't ask uh, him about you know, eight-year deals. You said 10 years. I
1: didn't ask him about eight-year deals. <laughs> but but it, you can see how it burns a team. Um, and they are not willing to do that anymore because it just never, it, it never works out. Even if it does work out one, one time out of 10, you're not risking that 90% loss to be saddled with this gigantic Albert trust contract that you have you know, with an Ellsbury or Canoe in the later years, because you'll, you'll get those good first four years or so. And it's the back half of this career. Look at what Miguel Cabrera is doing right now. Miguel Cabrera stinks right now and he's getting paid like 24 million a year for like the next four years He's like 34 to 35 years old right now he's only going to get worse teams aren't going to be doing that anymore you know so it it does screw those players over but that's why the cba that's what's going to change dramatically is okay you can call these players early but we're getting paid right away we're either going to change the minimum the minimum or something like that or arbitration years come a lot sooner because Really is ridiculous. You get a player for seven years under team control. So it's just right. not really fair to do a player.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one more thought from me, and then you could take it where you want. But looking at other sports, there's a much stricter amount of time where they're on the quote rookie deal where they're making. X amount of dollars. You know, in, in basketball, you get your first four years if you're a first round pick. And then after that you're still under you team still control. First four years too. Right, right. And you're you get these, you're, yeah. you're not making nine hundred thousand dollars. You're making upwards one, two. If you're a top five pick, you know, sometimes seven, eight, nine million. I think Markel Fultz is gonna make nine million next year. Ten, he's
1: making ten million if I'm not mistaken. Yeah,
0: maybe it might even For be ten. Sure. You're right. So it is obviously so, different. There's less players the whole thing there. But but in the other sports you get your first four of the rookie deal where it's less money, and I'm doing air quotes, rookie deal, because then you're still under team control for an extension or a new contract, but the team can pay you more. So, And what the Braves just did with Acuna, I believe, like he still has years on his contract, but they just extended him. They extended him uh, eight years, whatever, how many million, I forget. But it, why not, right? This you, you guy's your guy now. So well, well, you pay him early, well, you kind of save it's later.
1: Risk. It's a risk. Well, you, it is a risk. It's true, but you, know, true, you, but know, you pay early years, to save later
0: is what I'm saying, right? It's arbitra-
1: arbitra- arbitration years, too, can get really expensive as well. Like, Mookie Betts made like $25 million last year on, on an arbitration contract. So, you know, it, it, it's not it, – it also counteracts that. If they turn out to be the next Mookie Betts, they don't have to pay the player $25 million in arbitration years. You know, that's, that's kind of how that works, too. Right. That's what the really big is of it of that as well.
0: And then it bec- comes down to uh, the savvier the front office, the, the better the team will be. And that's kind of how uh, sports have gone for a long time. I,
1: I'll tell you one thing. I wouldn't have offered Elo- Eloy Jimenez uh, all that money before he even played a game professionally.
0: <laughs> that was a lot. Yeah, that's aggressive. It's aggressive. It's it's interesting. Yeah. Baseball, I think baseball, you know, I've been critical. And, you know, I hope I hope people don't think here I'm now being all of a sudden all pro, I sound pro baseball. I've never been like – you know, oh I freaking hate baseball, but I've definitely been anti, I've been against certain things. I did think there was a star problem, which I think is, is getting better. I think it really is getting better. Um and a national intrigue problem, which I still does do think exists. It's very localized and it's crushing it locally. But I think the national storylines will will kinda bloom a little bit this year. I kinda feel like there's some momentum there. So I, I think it's good. I I'm into it. And um you know, I'll still be critical when it's necessary. But off to start here, I think there should be some good national storylines, some good young players who kind of captivate the sport a little bit, and I'm excited for it.
1: Cool,
0: cool, cool. I'm with you. I agree. All right, so, uh, you know, when the draft lottery happens, what will pick the Knicks get, Alec, huh? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, the,
1: the lowest possible pick that we can get, so I guess that's pick. Five, yeah. Um, <laughs> Had to
0: sneak in some really pessimistic Knicks talk, because uh, I've been so optimistic about the Mets today.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, my, my teams have just been in shambles for like the past two years. Uh, the Giants, the Yankees, and the all thing. I have nothing
0: to root for. Oh, man. <laughs> Soon enough we'll be on here talking about who the Giants are going to draft or not draft, and it's going to be a shit what, show. To throw
1: to throw the Golden tape. <laughs> oh, God.
0: All right, that's enough. I can't do the pessimistic stuff. This is the Sports Blog New York podcast.
1: Alec, any last
0: words? Uh,
1: go Yanks. Let's, let's, get, let's get them out of the hospital. Let's get them playing.
0: Yeah, and go Yanks, especially if I bet on them to win games, so <laughs> which, I, which I may or may have not done on Wednesday. <laughs> Alec Argento with me today. I'm Pete Kennedy. This has been the Sports Blog good. New York Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to go on iTunes. I have a podcast app. Drop some stars, preferably five. Tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Shout you out on the pod. And freaking baseball season, ba- baby. Baseball weather, more, more importantly. Have a good one, everybody.